My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of Sumia VC, I sat down with Nicholas Anzinger, founder and general partner of Infinitifund, based in Prospera, a startup city with its own government and legal system off the coast of mainland Honduras. Nicholas is also the host of the Stranded Technologies podcast. In this episode, we discussed what a startup city is and how the startup city he lives in, named Prospera, got founded. We talked about what it's like to live in the startup city of Prospera in Honduras, as well as the challenges, problems, benefits, and future predictions. Nicholas explained what are stranded technologies, he talked about what it's like being a digital nomad, and finally, he talked us through the process of founding Infinitifund. We discussed all this and more in this episode of Smia VC. Nicholas, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Infinitifund? Hi, Trip. Great to be here. Yeah, sure. So there's really been two periods in my career. One was until I was 26 and I was living in the world of ideas. as a nerdy bookish kid that read all sorts of stuff and traveled around the world to see things and debate with people. And then, fortunately, I had a very good professor who's a mentor to me to that day. And she told me, Nicholas, um, you shouldn't go into academia. You're too entrepreneurial. You should go into the private sector. Um, she had the background at McKinsey. So with her help, I landed a job in management consulting right after. And that's really when I started discovering the world of business and entrepreneurship. And then a whole new life for me began. And, and I learned that many of the ideas that I had before you know, you could try and test them in the real world. Right? And I found that just tremendously exciting and uh, exhilarating. And I think in many ways with the VC I'm doing now, I'm trying to bring the worlds together, but that's a different story. And the thing that happened that led up to it was, so I was working as an operator, an entrepreneur in a startup. I created new business lines there from scratch. One of them is making 5 million a year now. Um, up until 2020, when really two things happened. One is I felt I've reached the peak in my role there, and now I need to go out and take a very big swing that I do from scratch on my own, right? And the other one was that I met my now wife on a business trip in New York, right? And so two, these two things happened at the same time. Um, the unfortunate thing was due to COVID, we were separated, right? So we just had one date in New York City. And then I was in Berlin. She was in New York City. Um, but we were like, we want to do this, right? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. So we decided to um, cancel our apartments, quit our jobs and go after our dreams. We said the first country that lets both of us in, we're going to go there and travel the world and start our businesses. That was Croatia. That was almost two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And ever since then, we've been nomads. Eventually we discovered uh, Mexico and Latin America and we really loved it there. Uh, but one thing that really frustrated me was I was thinking about the big swings I could take as an entrepreneur, the big industries that need disruption. Like, you know, education, finance, energy, real estate, healthcare. And I spent loads of time, especially in the healthcare sector, trying to figure out how to make a couple of really disruptive ideas work. For example, I was thinking about doing like an open source GitHub for medical data. So scientists, data scientists around the world could work on solutions to emerging health threats like COVID simultaneously. But it's when it dawned on me that the real problem isn't really sort of the centralizing innovation part on a technical level. It's really the regulation, 
right? So even if you have, if you discover a great new molecule that would lead to a great new drug development, you still have to go to painful 10 to 15 years of drug approvals, right? And cost several hundreds of millions. And I started seeing that pattern in all sorts of other industries where it's really bad laws, rules and regulations that are holding back tons of progress and innovation. Um, and that's when I found out about Prosper. And I was thinking, wow, this could solve it. So if you have competition for, you know, better laws that attract people to come, you know, you could build all these things that are right now not happening. But I was also a bit skeptical initially because it almost sounds too good to be true. And what do we learn? Anything that sounds too good to be true probably is too good to be true. So I wanted to see it for myself. I did I organized an independent conference in Prospera and I brought several other entrepreneurs from around the world just to give Prospera an incentive to bring their best people and to show us around. And it had the effect on me and it had it for everyone else that came that like, wow, this is amazing. You guys are real. This exists. It's a beautiful island. It's a thriving community. Um, yeah, there's already things that are built and there's a very high quality team behind it. I was like, I'm in. So let's see what we can do here. And that ultimately led to me founding a VC fund simply because I thought that was the best way for me to supercharge this movement because upon arrival, I had all these ideas how to finally create the large scale disruption and bring sort of a new wave of technological progress. But I was like, I can't do it all on my own, but as a VC fund, I can help others do it. Right. So that's why I am where I'm now. I love it. You mentioned why the project is so interesting to you. Could you tell us more about the project itself of Prospera? It's you mentioned it's this island that's off the coast of Honduras, and and a lot of people maybe compare it to these other places like Liberland in Eastern Europe. What is it in 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 your mind is is the most important thing that people should really take away from it? And then you mentioned we're there right now. What is it like right now? Yeah. So. First and foremost, it's a semi-autonomous zone in the country of Honduras. It's under Honduran sovereignty and under Honduran criminal law, but it has autonomy to do their own civil and business laws. It's comparable in that sense to Hong Kong or Shenzhen, China, Dubai or Singapore, right? So the goal and the ambition of these special economic zones is really to create a hundred to even a thousand X improvement in prosperity and wealth in 30 to 50 years. And this is not something that's super new and novel. It happened in these jurisdictions that I mentioned before. What's new is to really try it out on a larger scale around the world. And Honduras has developed the most innovative legislation in the world to allow these special economic zones. So Prospera has really been invited by the Honduran government and by the constitution to create this um, basically this city, right? It's a real place. It's on a beautiful island. They own real land. They have built a couple of buildings there, including what's called a better building, which is a really nice co-working space. It's part of a wider island community. The whole island is about the size of Hong Kong, right? And Prosper is the tiny fraction of it, right? It owns land the size of about Monaco, right? So you could, if you densely populated it, you could have about 40,000 people living there. Right now, there's about... Mm, Probably next year with finishing the residential tower, there's going to be 500 to 1,000 people living in Prospera physically. And there's 70,000 people that live on the whole island, right? So Prospera is part of a community. There's existing infrastructure. It's not like an escapist utopia, 
right, prosperous part of a community there that's just doing very regular business and that is trying to build a legitimate um, autonomous zone that's creating prosperity first and foremost for Honduras and inviting also the rest of the world to participate in that. And the key problem that they're solving is ease of doing business, right? So especially economic zones, um, there's thousands of them around the world, but most of them are like tax havens or they're like for expert processing and things like that. That's not the big problem. The big problem is business regulation, right? So Prospera is trying to make doing business easier, easier to set up a business, easier to be compliant, sort of, um, providing governance services in an Estonia e-residency model and having business regulations that are just simple and predictable and are not holding back innovation, but instead are letting innovation thrive while mitigating against the risks. So who are the other people living there right now? What sorts of industries are they working in? And then you mentioned you were part of like the larger community of the island. For what things do you have to leave? Like I saw the, there's a hospital, but the hospital's on the island and, and you, you would have to leave Prospera to go still on the same island of the hospital. What things do you have to leave Prospera for and um, who's living there? <laughs> well, I think the only thing you I, I, leave, I would leave Prospera for is just to have a bigger network, right? I like big cities. I like Mexico City, for example, where I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time or lived in Berlin, right? So if you want the big city vibe, if you want a lot of sort of culture, if you want sort of millions of people around you, it's better to go to a big city, right? That's something that's not there yet in Prospera. But other than that, it has great supermarkets, it has a good road infrastructure. The hospitals there are really well. The education system on the island, unfortunately, is to be improved. The waste management, the waste management system is to be improved. But those are all things that Prospera is also, that also working on. And the other people that are here is, so most of them are Hondurans, right? So within Prospera, um, you know, a large part of the people that are living there or working there are a service workers, right? So any um, 21st century knowledge intensive economy will have 30% or something that are service workers. So these are mostly local islanders from the local community, from villages around the other part is Hondurans from the mainland that are highly educated, that would often otherwise go to the United States or another country for better opportunities. In fact, Honduras is, I think, losing 3% of its population each year, but it might not be entirely accurate, but losing a lot of people, especially the most well-educated, because there's not a lot of opportunities for them in Honduras. Prosperous creating these opportunities for them, right, to instead go there where they find opportunity. And the rest is internationals, right? So there's a couple of there's a couple of Americans. There's uh, not sure I'm the only German. Um, and you know, I got people the other conferences from Hong Kong, from Singapore here, from from Portugal, from Spain, from Mexico, right? So it's there's also an international crowd. The founders of Prospera are Venezuelan and Guatemalan. I love it. You said you go to Mexico City a lot. I saw that it was quite far from the capital. How are you getting to an airport to get to Mexico City? And then if I may ask, what do you think the biggest challenge associated with Prospera is? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, I mean, there's an airport on the island. It has direct <laughs> flights to a couple of destinations in the United States. The closest one being Miami. The other one, um, Denver, although irregularly, Atlanta, Houston, and Dallas. And, you know, if I want to go to Mexico City, I typically fly through San Pedro Sula and from there to Mexico City. Um, 
what is a bit of a challenge or what is the biggest challenge is to brand off Honduras as a country. It's considered a very high crime, dangerous, corrupt country. And that's also to that's also true. Right. The island itself is, however, a much higher standard. It is very, very safe. Right. But it's just people associate they wouldn't go through Honduras if they, you know, it, it is even for me in the beginning was a bit like, oh, that sounds a bit edgy. Right. Also, the flights, the airlines don't give you very good results in that region for some reason. So every time you type in, hey, flights to Rodan and you have to, you know, it's not a direct flight typically then the costs are just very high for some reason. But when you separate it, if you look for flights to San Pedro Sula, from there to Rodan, you can get it for much cheaper, right? So sort of the ease of traveling, of getting there, the brand associated with it, um, doesn't make it an easy sell to people that aren't initiated with it. But that even makes the effect even greater when they actually come here and see it. So if people wanted to come and see it, would they stay at a hotel somewhere else in Rodan, or is there a hotel set up on in Prospera right now? And would they who would they speak to if someone's watching this and they say, okay, I like this, I saw the mock-ups, like the the Hadid architects have done an excellent job, obviously with those those mock-ups. What would they do? How would they do that? How can they see it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just type in Prospera Honduras in Google, and you get a couple of good frames. Um, and when you would go there, you you have one sort of the central Prospera hub with the better building that's mostly for working, right? There's a lot of construction going on, including a big residential tower, which I think I always forget, but I think it's like 14 or 15 stories high. My wife and I will move to the 10th floor, I think, and buy a condo there. And that condo will have you know plenty of available rental space. I think there's also a lower cost um, residential unit that they're building where you can that you can rent for as low as I think $150 or something per month. That's not available right now. That's being built right now. Um, Prosper also owns the neighboring luxury golf resort, which is called Pristine Bay. <clears throat> so that's more upscale, right? So it's five-star hotels, restaurants, right? That are more on the pricier side. That's where I'm right now, in fact. So right now, the options when it comes to hotel aren't the cheapest. But we're they're building right now on on making cheaper options available. I love it. I love it. I'm I might have to go and see what it's like. I, I want to hear more about your fund. So why did you start your fund? What's the investment thesis? Um, I saw that there were some some deep tech, some some future implications on the on the website, and I want to hear everything about it. Mm -hmm. So the key problem that I see for entrepreneurs is really that regulation kind of dictates what you can and can't do, right? So if you want to build a very ambitious tokenization project where you tokenize um, ownership in real estate, for example, you know, you have to go through very painful and very unclear SEC filings, right? They might declare it a security or, you know, they say it's not a security now, but then in five or in 10 years, they go after you, like they go after Coinbase and others now. So that's just a lot of legal uncertainty. Same when it comes to disrupting the world of atoms, the physical world, right? So nuclear energy is terribly outregulated. Uh, it's just atrocious that the United States regulator, airline safety regulator, does just not allow drones for commercial use, just like that which is insane. You would have drones flying around anywhere to deliver goods, like in emergency situations, especially in very congested areas, like in, in Los Angeles, for example, where the streets are terribly overbroad. So 
And that's just a big problem. So, but, you know, entrepreneurs are instead going into areas that don't have these kinds of regulations. And that was for a long time software, you know, increasingly for, for something to be the metaverse, right? <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, there's probably great things that will come out of that as well. But I find that a bit of a sad testimony sometimes to our ability to change the physical world into the things we want to see in the metaverse, right? So on the technical level, it's very well possible to build sort of the science fiction world of um, that many writers have been speculating about the sort of multi-lane highways cities that are on the seas that are domes that are aerostat and like have amazing air quality and all that on clean energy so all of that is really possible so i think what it really thinks is for entrepreneurs to open a new frontier to go to places that let them do this even though at least in prospera it's only possible on a small scale right so but with the movement expanding and growing. And I believe in a future with 10, 15, maybe even 50 Prospera grade full stack startup cities, right? That are all over the world. Some of them will be in Latin America, a lot of them will be in Africa and Asia, maybe one or two in the United States if they let it. It's really up to governments to allowing them. This is where you can have these innovation hubs and where we can unleash the sort of the innovation that's right now captured and hold back in other jurisdictions and show just what's possible by let people experimenting, let them build, let them build it. And I, as a VC fund, want to be on the forefront of that trend and supercharge that movement, but kind of almost building like a network alliance between these emerging startup cities to make them help each other to make them help each other create the best rules and regulations and environments for entrepreneurs and help entrepreneurs to find which setup suits them best, both from a legal and a jurisdictional and from a physical perspective, where can they do the things that they need to do. And so are you going to only invest in companies that are in these sort of startup cities or will there be investments everywhere? Or is it, you know, these two kind of uh, overlapping theses of uh, that you just mentioned? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just describing the general trend um, because of general solicitation rules, right? So I can't be super specific as to what I'm investing in. I think I can say that um, I want to supercharge this movement, right? So this means that kind of those companies can be inside or outside these actual boundaries or jurisdictions. It's ultimately up to them. Or another way I describe it is I want to help entrepreneurs break through regulatory bottlenecks. And startup cities are kind of a tool that that helps them achieve that. Something I want to touch on that I thought was quite interesting is you mentioned that Honduras maybe as a whole has a certain reputation and this, the island you're on has a different reputation from that. What do you think Americans get wrong about Latin America as a whole? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it, I can talk about it, but in the end, you just got to see it, right? So I was surprised at that myself when I went to Mexico City for the first time. You know, it was perfectly safe. I could walk anywhere. It was insanely beautiful. Like the whole greenery all over the place, the trees that are sprouting and throwing the sidewalks away. The people are fantastically nice. The food is good. Things are so cheap and affordable. It's way cleaner than like New York City. And oh my God, I was shocked when I was in LA and in San Francisco, right? So yeah, I was joking the other day when I, after I was spending time in San Francisco and LA and had several incidents with, with homeless men that were attacking people, I was like, oh, I'm going back to Guatemala for safety reasons. <laughs> I love because, it. Because, you know, 
Uh, so what people don't get about Latin America is, you know, there is real safety issues in some places, but they're typically geographically confined. It's the same as saying Chicago is unsafe, which is true, right? It has a very high murder and crime murder had for a long time. I don't know how it is right now, but it's geographically confined. It's in the South side. It's the same in Latin America. And just inform yourself, ask people, find friends um, that can warn you explicitly where to go and not to go. Um, there's extremely little, especially in Mexico. You can go almost anywhere. It's beautiful. It's it's a raw, it's a gem. It's so, oh my God, I discover every so many new things all the time in, in, Mexico, in Mexico City. So, you know, you're just getting so much more for for simply your money and your time in many of these places than you would get in comparable safe places in the United States. I think it's really just a branding issue in many ways and just people don't have, not having the experience or having ever made the leap to go to anywhere but Cancun to like a confined resort, something like that. How do you feel about the connection piece? You mentioned you wanted to go nomad and you're certainly in a place that's a, a contrarian choice when when you also mentioned places like even Mexico City is is would would not be too contrarian in 2022. How do you feel about uh you know balancing both being contrarian and then also like keeping ties with people who uh you you know and love and want to have relationships with uh work and otherwise, but maybe aren't as contrarian and don't want to live on an island in Honduras? Well, contrarian is good. That's kind of in my nature. It speaks also to that idea phase that I had before I went into business. I think in business is also an advantage. It means you think of things that others aren't thinking of and you see advantages that others don't see. I, for example, it's one of these unfair insights. I have spent more time with my family and with some of my best friends than before as a nomad. Why is that? Because, you know, over Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, we just go back to our families. And instead of just doing it for a short trip, we spent like two or three or four weeks there, you know, because we don't have anywhere else to go where we pay rent. Sort of that additional flexibility gives, makes it more possible for us to build friendships in places that we haven't you know, spent as much time in before, right? So, you know, I, you know, and what happens really when you stay in a place for very long and live there, you know, you don't seeing your friends all the time as much as you like, right? It's a bit like buying that apartment with sort of um, thinking about, you know, the guest room and the big kitchen where you want to host dinners for everyone all the time. And then you do it like two or three times a year. Very interesting take. I, I'd love to hear more about the podcast. Uh, could you tell us more about the Stranded Technologies podcast? Yeah. So stranded technologies is really a term that I came up with. You can go and Google it recently and other people in Australia, especially have used it in the same context. But the point is kind of to describe uh, analogously to stranded assets, which describes kind of assets that are underutilized or not used, or for some reason, you know, often they mean buildings by that. And with technologies, I really mean they're held back by over-regulation, bureaucracy, or red tape, right? So that's not the only reason that technologies can be stranded. They can also be superseded because, you know, there's better technologies or they just don't uh, fail to attract market demand or they're uneconomical, right? But I'm really specifically on those kind of technologies that are stranded because of over-regulation and bad governance, right? There's this fantastic book and i had him on my podcast recently will be released next tuesday check out the China technology podcast jay stores hall who wrote a book where's my flying car who's actually describing the technical and regulatory history behind why we don't have a flying car today right it's not just metaphorical he said very seriously we could have flying cars today when it comes to the technology but because of several choices we made in society and regulation and other things we don't have it 
right? So that is encapsulates the whole thesis. And there's loads of other things out there like nanotech, biotechnology. There's things that you think about that are holding back innovation, like intellectual property laws, patent and copyright. I just had a very interesting episode about that. And as soon as I just formulated and thought about that thesis and invited guests, I just learned so much more from all angles and from all sides. So it's just been, it's grown bigger in, in my mind, at least than I initially thought. There's just really so much out there that we could have. And that's what the podcast is all about. And also to add that, I don't want to just reminisce and criticize or whatever. Like sometimes some entrepreneurs um, that I talk to tell like Niklas, yeah, but what do we do now, <laughs> right? How do we solve it? And that's, so the podcast is also about that. It's aimed to help entrepreneurs discover some of these insights that you don't, that are not immediately obvious. Hey, there's this regulation that forbids this, but there's this that actually could allow you to do it that way, right? So just, I just want to transmit some of these ideas to people and show them that things are possible that they thought would, that they thought weren't possible. You mentioned the flying cars. Uh, what else? Uh, could, could you give one other example? Because I think this is very interesting. I think I want to give a little more people uh, information so they can grab onto it and really just dive into that podcast. What's one more story? Because I think they're they're all quite interesting. I think one of the most important ones is nuclear energy, right? So we could have 80 to 90% of our energy system on advanced nuclear right now, which is even more safe than the original traditional nuclear power, which is already very safe. It's entirely clean and we could run our entire economies just on more power, which would also enable us to create much more powerful nanotechnology, would create a much more powerful construction, building materials and things like that. So that's really the biggest one because so many other are built on top. One other big one is education. We're spending uh, trillions of dollars on a system that you know makes it hard for new private solutions to compete and improve on, right? And we're locking people into a system that's you know F, that's really badly designed for making people thrive. It's actually holding them artificially long in an education system where they don't learn much. Almost everyone has the same experience that after university, they have to learn things from scratch on the job, right? But that's a whole other topic. The third one may be cities and governance as a whole, right? So cre creating new cities is a lost art. Right. I mean, there was an age where there were cities created all the time and there is no such thing or as an improvement in governance really over time and in leadership and in creating better rules. So these are really the fundamental technologies that others that others are built on. I think it's impossible to hear you speak about that and Prospera and not get excited about what can happen in the future. I understand what you say about, you know, maybe reminiscing in the past, but um, I'm, I'm definitely excited and looking about the future. Speaking about the present. I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about, I'll throw it, I'll throw this in here. What important truth about Prospera or Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Yeah, I tried to summarize it in kind of just one statement that I think is wrong, um, where everyone thinks that it's right. It's, you know, you know the saying that those who don't know history are bound to repeat it. And I think almost the opposite is true. I say almost deliberately. It's not, but it's more like that knowing history or too much history makes you repeat it because it destroys your imagination. It makes you think like Latin America is the backwater and the developed world in the United States is up there. And you think things are not possible the way they are there. But in reality, you know, Argentina has been one of the wealthiest countries in the early 20th century. So um, there's no reason that Latin America is held back or you know, there's this sort of 
uh, fate of history, right? And I also think just in the area of technology, there's many things possible that aren't possible in the United States. In Mexico, for example, I got the best healthcare, right? Healthcare and education are so badly run in the United States and in much of the developed world, they're irreparably damaged and we need to almost rebuild them from scratch. And in Latin America, some of these sectors are way less regulated. You have a much larger private sector, private clinics, which is the reason why I got such good out-of-pocket healthcare in Mexico. There's much higher quality than I've ever gotten, right? So, you know, the innovation and technology is nowadays more horizontal than it was before. So the scientific and technological breakthroughs for the future can come from Latin America from anywhere, right? I mean, there are barriers, there are limitations. I'm not saying it's all wrong. I'm just saying, you know, it's possible to overcome it now. So don't feel like bound or locked by history. Look towards the future. Look towards the future. What a great answer. Nicholas, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Samia VC podcast today. Thank you, Trip. It was my pleasure. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. And don't forget to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.